Welcome back to Brailcast Extra. Coming up this time, an introduction to Git, a session recorded on Tuesday, the 31st of January 2023, moderated by Chantal Griffiths and introduced and hosted by Ben Mustel Rose. Good evening and a very warm welcome to this evening's Masterclass brought to you by the Brailis Foundation. This evening's Masterclass is our third computer science themed Masterclass sponsored by Bristol Braille Technology. And uh, without further ado, because we've got quite a bit to cover, I'm going to hand over to Ed Rogers, who is here from Bristol Braille Technology. Um, Ed, do you want to give us a bit of an overview about what BBT are hoping to achieve with these masterclasses and also what people can do if they are interested in what you're doing? Yes, certainly. And good evening, Ben. So we're sponsoring these masterclasses um, thanks to the UFI Vocational Technology Trust. They are a charity which supports uh, training and, and technologies which let people advance in their careers. And that's what we're doing here with computer science and Braille and indeed uh, screen readers. Now, this is, comes in two parts for us. On the one hand, we're doing these masterclasses through the Braillists. And on the other hand, we're trialing new hardware, which is a device called the Canute console. It's a nine-line, multi-line Braille display mounted into a Linux workstation, which then runs a variety of computer science-related programs, such as data visualization, programming tools, but also just a full Linux workstation and indeed video games, which were programmed on the device itself. So what we're trying to do really is to come up with some motivating, um, motivating tools and lessons to encourage Braille users to uh, further a career in computer science or indeed to start one. Uh, we can come back to the Canute console later, but right now we're here to talk about uh, Git, I believe. Yes, we are indeed. Thank you for that, Ed. Um, a couple of things before we get started really quickly. Uh, this is going to be building on the skills that we learned in our Linux masterclass. So if you are, uh, if you haven't already listened to that masterclass, firstly, don't worry. Um, it's all available on our Brailcast podcast, brailcast.com. And uh, even if you uh, even if you have already listened to it and you're not sure about something, we're going to try our best to explain things as we go um, wherever possible. Although, as I say, uh, if you're looking for a refresher, the Linux Masterclass would be a good place to get started. Um, last thing before we get going, my uh, sort of obligatory little disclaimer here to all of the tech people that are that are in the room. I know we've got some people here. Um, I've once again tried very hard to strike a balance between presenting something that is easy to understand and technically correct. Um, I hope I've got it right, but this stuff is massively subjective. Uh, so if you uh, think that I've maybe gone a little bit too far one way or the other, uh, please accept my apologies. Hopefully uh, we will all enjoy a lot about learning version control. 
So what is version control then? Well, we did cake analogies during the Linux masterclass, so let's carry on with those for now. And let's say that you'd come up with a new cake recipe. Well, what you'd probably do in that scenario is write it down on your computer, save the file, and then cook it. And so let's say you do that, but you think, actually, you know what? Maybe I needed a bit more sugar in that. Maybe it wasn't quite right. So what you'd probably do then is go back to your recipe, tweak the amount of sugar, and then save it in preparation for when you next made it. So let's say that you did that, but then in a couple of weeks time, you thought, okay, right, I wanna try this cake again. You make it with the new amount of sugar, and you think, oh, actually, you know what? This is too much. I want the original recipe back. Well, now we've got a bit of a problem, right? Because you've only got the new version of the recipe. And yes, you could just have multiple copies of the file, but that ends up just getting really, really messy and you'd probably not be disciplined enough to maintain them. And so really what you need is a solution to have different versions of the file, if you will. And that is what version control does. But we're only really scratching the surface there. So let's say, for example, that you had built up a nice little selection of recipes over the years. Well, wouldn't it be good if other people could collaborate on those recipes for you? Wouldn't it be good if they were centralized so that your family members could look at your recipes? Well, version control lets you do that. Wouldn't it be good if Let's say that you had a really nice chocolate cake recipe, but it wasn't suitable for vegans. Well, wouldn't it be good if someone could come along and say, well, actually, you know what? I want to make a vegan-friendly recipe for chocolate cake, but I want to base it on yours. So they can just pull in your recipe, make the changes that they want to make, and there you have it, a chocolate cake that is suitable for vegans. Well, version control lets you do that as well. Now, obviously, that's a slightly artificial example, or based on cake. Uh, that is one thing that you can do with version control. I do know people who use it for that. That isn't a joke. But you can hopefully see how it would be useful in the same way if you were a large company writing software, right? So you've got loads and loads of developers working on whatever piece of software it is. They've got the code on their machines, and they're adding new features, but actually, you want the code to be centralized because you don't just want to have to go around with a memory stick to some random person's laptop and grab a copy of the code. That would just take too long. You want the code to be stored centrally and you want different versions of the code just in case someone introduced a new feature that turned out to have some problems. So you could just go back to where you were previously and of course then have a good working piece of software without the newly introduced issues. Well, version control lets you do all of that plus more. In terms of tools to get started with version control, there are a few different options. Historically, there was one that was pretty popular called SVN. Uh, that's still around, but it's not that popular now. Uh, but as you may have guessed from the title of this masterclass, we're gonna be showing you one called Git, and we're gonna be getting started with that in a moment or two. Now, for the purposes of this masterclass, we're going to be using the open source Liblui tool as an example. And for anyone who isn't aware, open source means that the code behind a piece of software is free for people to access and modify. And Liblui is a 
very popular piece of Braille translation software. It can do forward translation and back translation based on a series of Braille tables. For this class, we're going to assume that we're working for Bristol Braille Technology and that we want to use Liblui in one of our products, but we perhaps aren't entirely happy with it. Uh, maybe we quite like it, but actually we need to add something to it that is specific to us. And in order to do that, we need to fork the repository. A couple of interesting words there in particular, a repository is a place where files can be stored. So based on the recipe example earlier, you may have a repository called family recipes and fork basically means make a copy of. So basically we're saying, give me the Liblui repository as it exists at the moment, give me all of the files in it, but make my own version so I can add my own functionality to it in the future if I want. I should also point out that whilst we'll be adding something new to it that we won't be contributing back to Liblui, if you wanted to add something to Liblui that you did want the main repository to have, i.e. maybe you were adding a new braille table or fixing an existing one, the steps that you would take to do that would be very, very similar. All right, so let's start getting our hands dirty then. Uh, I am currently sat in front of my Ubuntu install under WSL, the exact same system that we used in the previous masterclass. Although I should point out for the sake of completeness that my personal default choice for a task like this would be to do it under Windows using NVDA and a tool like VS Code. I'm only showing you it under Ubuntu because it's what we did in the previous class. All right, so uh, we need to use the git command. Uh, so uh, let's see if we've got that installed. T, command git not found. Oh dear, that's not so good. So we need to install it before we can get started then. Now, before we install software on Linux, it's good practice to make sure that our software is fully up to date. And that is a two-step process typically. And what we first need to do is to make sure that all of the lists on our system of all of the software that is available are up to date. And then once that's done, we need to go through all of those lists to update any software that needs updating. Now you might think that that is counterintuitive. Um, honestly, it's fine once you get used to it. Um, there is a way that you can make that into a one-step process. We're going to be doing it in two steps for now. Don't overthink it. Let's just carry on. And the command that we use to do this and uh, lots of other stuff to do with updating and installing software on Ubuntu, at least, is a command called apt. So uh, what we need to do first is run apt space update, which will let us uh, update the lists of available software on our computer. E. Reading package lists. Done. E. Could not open lock file slash var slash lib slash apt slash lists oh, slash lock so open. Gonna mute my speech again. Uh, so we've got some kind of error there now. Well, why is that? Well, it's unfortunately because the Ben account that I'm running this under doesn't have permission to install updates. So we need to run a command that just confirms 
that we actually want to do this. Now, again, don't overthink it. Basically, if you have ever had that thing on Windows where you download a piece of software and you try to install it, but that weird dialog pops up that you have to choose yes to, it's basically this, except we're running a command to, to confirm that we want to do it. The command that we want to run is sudo or sudo, so we want to do sudo apt update. Um, there's a whole history around why it's called sudo or more correctly sudo. Um, if there's time towards the end, we'll get into it. But again, you don't need to know it. We're just focusing on the stuff that you need to know here. And if you want to learn more, definitely do. So let's do sudo apt update. Sudo password for Ben. All right, so it wants my password just to confirm that it's really me. So I'll type that in now. H-U-N-T-E-R-2. And we'll enter. 0% working. Get one HTTP slash slash security dot you book. All right, and Reading once again, list. I'm going to uh, mute my speech and I'm going to read from the bottom of the screen and read up just to see if uh, see if the command's completed successfully. That is a tip that will probably come in useful when you're doing stuff under Linux and actually under Windows as well. Um, unless you really need to view all of the command output, there is a strong argument to be had to just look at the bottom couple of lines. Bottom, 39 packages can be upgraded. Ben at desk. Cool, so it looks like that's completed successfully and we can hear that I'm back at my terminal. So now I need to do sudo apt upgrade, which will now upgrade all of the packages that I need. E. Reading package lists. Done. Building dependency tree. 0%. 50%. And we're building dependency tree. Here. Done. Reading state information. Done. Calculating upgrade. 0%. Done. The following packages will be upgraded. Bind 9 dis-utils, bind 9 host, bind 9 lib. All right, so spoiler alert, that's going to be quite a long list. So what I'm going to do is just read the uh, last couple of lines to see what we need to do. Bottom. Do you want to continue? Y slash N. After this operation, 336 KB of additional disk space will be used. Need to get 40.2 megabytes of archives. 23 standard LTS security updates. 39 upgraded, zero newly installed. Cool, and if that sounded a bit weird, it's because I was reading from the bottom up, so I was technically reading backwards. All right, so I'm gonna choose Y for yes, um, but before I do that, I'm gonna change my NVDA to beeps. Speech mode off, speech mode beeps. So let's uh, type Y and enter. And the reason that I'm doing beeps is because I don't really care about what it's doing. I just need to know that it's still doing something. Um, so in this instance, it's downloading and installing all of the updates. Again, don't really care what it is uh, that it's doing, um, just so long as I know roughly what it's doing. I just need to know when it's finished. And beeps is a good way of getting that information without being bombarded with speech. Although, of course, if you had Braille, uh, that would be arguably an even easier way to do it. All right, so I'm running this on a fairly fast computer and a fairly fast internet connection, so uh, I reckon that those updates are now completed. So let's turn speech on and see what we get. Speech mode talk, blank. Ben at desktop D6JF0HP. Processing triggers for libbin. Cool, so it looks like that has completed successfully. So we're now finally ready to install Git. 
Uh, so I'm going to do sudo apt install git. T. Reading package lists. Done. Building dependency tree. And so on and so on. Blank. Let's go to the bottom. Ben at desktop. Setting up git. 1 colon 2.34.11. Awesome. So it looks like that's installed. Uh, you'll note that I didn't have to enter my password those past couple of times because it knows that I've done it recently. So it's just assuming that everything is OK. It's a nice little convenience feature. And if we run the git command again. T. Restore, restore working tree file. We can see that it's giving us different outputs. So in this instance, it's printing part of a help message. We don't really care what the help message says at this point. Uh, all we need to know is that it has been successfully installed. So now let's take a look at the libluie repository, which is hosted on a service that you may have heard of before called GitHub. And now the observant of you may have noticed oh, actually Git, GitHub, is there some kind of connection there? Yes, there is. Um, in a nutshell, Git is the tool that lets us do version control. And GitHub is a company that's realized, oh, actually, yeah, you know what, this, this Git tool is quite handy. Let's run a company that sells people space on our servers to allow them to do version control, hence the centralized bit from earlier on. Visited. Libluis slash Libluis, open source Braille translator and back translator. All right, so I've got the page open in Firefox now, although uh, Edge and Chrome will also work. And I'm just going to use heading navigation to give you a really brief idea of what you will find on a page when you uh, when you navigate to it. Main landmark clickable libluis slash libluis heading level one. All right, so that's telling us that we're on the libluis page within the libluis organization. The format there is organization name slash repository. Latest commit heading level two. Latest commit. Commits basically are changes. So if we were to explore that area a bit more, we'd get some details around the latest change that was made, what it involved, and who made it. GIT stats heading level two. Some stats about the repository. Files heading level two. A file listing. Readme.org link head. And that should be readme. It's just uh, Windows One Core that's mispronouncing it. Most repositories will have a readme file, although the contents will vary. In this instance, however, we can use heading level navigation within the readme to explore a little bit more. Introduction heading level one. Libluis is an open source Braille translator and back translator named in honor of Link Louis Braille. It features support for computer and literary Braille, supports contracted and uncontracted. Translation for visited Link many languages and has support for hyphenation. New languages can easily be added. And so on and so on. If we just quickly explore the rest of the readme. Documentation heading level one. Installation heading level one. Participating heading level one. I just wanted to go down to that participation section to point out that most open source projects will have a section like that in the readme. It will be participation or how to contribute, which, as the name implies, is a good place to start off if you want to make a contribution. So as I say, I need to make a fork of this repository. So let's go to the top of the page. Links. And let's search for the word fork. Find black F-O-R-K. Main landmark list with four items visited link fork 175. 
Okay, so that's told us that 175 people have already forked this repository. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, but all we need to do now is press enter. Fork Lebluis slash Lebluis. And uh, now we're given a page that gives us some options about the details that we want to give our fork. Now I'm already signed in, but if I wasn't at this point, I would be asked to either sign in or create an account. So let's explore what we have on this page then. Main landmark clickable create a new fork heading level one. A fork is a copy of a repository without affecting the original project. Create a new fork form list with two items owner star. Clickable button collapse. So this is where we need to choose who owns the repository. The reason that we're being asked that is because a GitHub account could belong to multiple organizations. So for example, uh, my account that I'm using at the moment belongs to my work organization. So I need to make sure that it's me who owns it and not my work. And I've just done that um, away from the recording because it told you some information about my work there that you didn't really need to know. Although it is very, very easy to do. You just arrow through the list of options that you have available to you. So let's go to the next edit area. List with two items, repository name, star edit required, LeBluis. All right, this lets us set the name for the repository um, or repo as it's known for short. Um, let's call this one BBT LibLouis though. So we'll go to the beginning and do L B dash BBT LibLouis is available. Good, that's good. Uh, we can also set a description. List with two items description, optional, edit open source braille translator and back translator. And you can hear that it's just inherited the description from the uh, original repo. Um, there are a few more details on this page, but we don't need to worry about any of them. So let's find the create fork button. That's the one that we want. Creating repository. Unavailable, unavailable. Mustill Rose slash BBT LeBluis. Mustill Rose slash main landmark. All right, there we are. And our fork is now created. The next thing that we need to do is clone the repo. And what do we mean by that? Well, clone essentially means make a copy. So we need to take a copy of our newly forked repo and download it to our machine. Now I happen to know that the way to do that is to find the button that is called code and uh, then enter on that to get some options about how we want to clone. So let's do that now. Mainland master bug, add file bug, code bug. There we are, that sounds about right. Expanded. And I'll just uh, briefly go through the options that we have available to us. Clickable tab selected local. Tab coder spaces new. List with three items link which remote URL should I use? Just being given some options about uh, which URL we should use. Clone. Um, Clickable the tab selected HTTPS. Fine. We want to do HTTPS and tab SSH. Not SSH. Tab GIT hub CLI. HTTPS slash slash github.com slash mustill rose slash bbt lebluis.git edit reader. Cool. So that is the URL uh, that we can access our repository through. And uh, as you may have clocked from the contents of that URL, it's unique to us and no one else will be able to get a URL quite like it. Button copy to clipboard. All right. So yeah, let's do that. So I don't have to remember it. We'll copy it to the clipboard. Copied. <clears throat> and now let's go back to our Ubuntu shell. Ben at desktop D6JF0HP. 
All right, so to get the files from our new BBT Liblui repo, we have to, as I say, clone them. So we do that by typing in git clone. Space. Then we could type the URL if we wanted to, but instead I'm going to press NVDA Shift and M, which moves the mouse cursor to the active window. Then I'm going to press NVDA and right bracket, so the one to the left of return, which performs a right click, right click, which is how you paste. Desktop D6JF0HP GIT clone HTTPS slash slash githubcom slash slash BBT. Sounds about right. So I'm going to speech go mode to speech mode beeps. beeps again and press enter because to a certain extent I don't really care about the output so long as it works. And it looks like that's done. Speech so mode talk. Let's Blank. see what we've got. Ben at desktop D6JF0 resolving deltas 100%. All right, now the git output is slightly cryptic, which was partly why I didn't show it to you. But if we do an ls now, BBT Lebluis documents. All right, we see that we have successfully cloned the Liblui or the BBT Liblui repo to our machine. All right, so let's cd into that directory and see what we get when we do an ls. BT Lebluis. And again, I'm using tab completion there. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp slash bbt Cool. S. Announcement docker file license dot md windows configure dot ac python. Authors docker. Wow, so lots and lots of different files and uh, Part of contributing to open source projects like this is uh, learning to become comfortable with the various structures that different projects will employ. Now, the files in this directory are going to be up to date because we only just cloned them uh, from, from the repo and also it's only me working on it. But let's say that other people were working on this. As I say, we're doing this as part of BBT, so maybe I had some holiday, um, so I've been away for a couple of weeks. I've opened up my computer, I've got into the directory. I want to make sure that I'm working from the most up-to-date files. So the way that I do that is to run git pull. So let's do that now and see what happens. Already up to date. Ben. Cool, already up to date. Nice and simple, that is what I wanted to hear. So if you recall, I said that we were going to add something to Liblui, and uh, well, what what can we add? What what can we what can we change? Well, let's say that I am a blind developer working in a team of sighted people, and I want to try to uh, figure out a way to to make people a bit more enthusiastic about Braille. Let's say that I want to, to come up with something fun that they can do to practice their Braille skills. Well, fortunately for me, BBT are forcing us to come into the office one or two days a week. And as part of that, they're bribing us with some very nice food. And they have a online menu that we can consult to see what is in the canteen on, uh, on the days that we're in. Now, that, of course, at the moment is in print, but it would be kind of cool if we made a version that was in Braille. But we don't want to do it manually. We don't want to type it out every single day. What we would really benefit from is a little script that would download that print version of the menu, then run it through Liblui, 
to create a Braille version and then do something with it to help sighted people in the team A, figure out what was for lunch and B, figure out Braille. So let's do that then. Now the first thing that we need to do is to grab a copy of today's menu and to do that we're going to be using a command called curl. Um, curl is a very very popular tool. Uh, you almost certainly will have benefited from it even if you haven't used it directly. Um, it's not how you browse the internet on Linux um, but if you do just want to grab the contents of a web page really quickly curl is a fairly typical choice. So we're going to combine all of these steps into a script in a moment but for now let's see if we can grab the menu first. So we need to do curl space. and I'm going to do dash s which space. is going to run curl in silent mode. Um, that basically means that it's not going to print any curl specific output. It's just going to print the contents of the file. So curl dash s. Now I'm going to type in the URL to BBT's uh, canteen menu, which is www.braillist.org/menu.txt. That's kind of strange. And uh, let's press enter and uh, see what curl gives us. Today's menu, mains, roast beef sirloin and bayonized dauphin oils, assorted greens, or spaghetti bolognese and garlic bread, or various uninspiring sandwiches, desserts, baked Alaska flam, three colorful layers of ice cream domed atop a fudgy, flourless chocolate cake, or fruity chocolate pudding, a light chocolate cake with lightly caramelized pears and glass cherries, or fruit selection, whatever needs eating on the day. Ben at desktop. All right, there we are. Um, excuse the mispronunciation of some of the meals there by good old Windows One Core. All right, so we're making pretty good progress. We have a command that we know works to download the menu. All we need to do now is to translate it into Braille using Liblui. Now, in order to do that, we need to install the Liblui tool from the repo that we just cloned. I'll be honest with you, the steps to do that are quite complicated. They are all detailed in the readme, but by the virtues of copious audio editing, let's assume that I have now installed Liblui and have access to the Lou Translate tool. So if we run Lou Translate now. Lou Translate, no table specified. Cool, so now that is an error message, but fundamentally it does tell us that I've installed it correctly. Now in order to make this work, we're going to use piping. If you've forgotten what piping is, then uh, definitely have a listen back to the Linux masterclass where we covered it in a considerable amount of detail. But in a nutshell, we need to pipe the output of one command to another command. In this instance, we need to pipe the curl output to the lu translate command. And as I say, we're going to write this in a script and we'll get onto that in a little bit. But for now, let's prototype doing this on the command line before we uh, before we mess about writing it in a script, just so that we can make sure that we're getting it right. So to make this a bit quicker, I'm going to use my command history. I'm just going to use the up arrow until I get the curl command so I don't have to type it again. 
Benak Desktop D6JF0HP, slash BBT Lebluis Dollar Curl SHTTPS, slash slash www.braylists.org slash menu.txt. All right, so that is the uh, command that we're looking for. Just go to the end of the line. Space, then I'll space. do a space, then I'll do a bar. space bar. So shift and backslash, uh, also known as the pipe character. And now I need to type in a command that uh, will instruct loo translate to translate something. So I'm going to do L O U line translate space. And now I want forward translation. So I want something to be translated into Braille. So I'll do dash dash forward dash D space. And now I need to specify the Braille table that I want to use. So I want to do. En dash gb dash g two dot ctb. So as the name kind of implies, that is English grade two. And with any luck, if we press enter, we should hear something like tdx zero zero one two sm five u three ma nine s three rower slash beef solo nine and be greater nine. Now that might not sound particularly good to you, but it is actually really, really good news because it tells us, well, it tells us a few different things actually. It tells us that Curl was able to download the menu and that it sent it to Liblui as we wanted and that Liblui has translated it into English Grade 2 Braille. All right, so that works quite well, but actually it's it's a bit of a faff really. It's it's quite a long command to, to write out every time we want to run it. So what would be better is if we had one relatively short command that we could run every time we wanted to generate a Braille menu. And that is where scripts come in. Uh, what are scripts, I hear you ask? It's pretty simple. They're just a file. So each script is a file that contains a series of commands that are run uh, usually in succession of each other. So you'll have a command on one line, which will be run, then a command on another line, which will be run, then a command on another line, which will be run, so on and so on. So let's use nano from the previous masterclass to write our script then. Uh, so we'll do nano space and uh, let's call this file um, make lunch menu dot and uh, we're going to call it make lunch menu dot sh. So by convention, script files on Linux tends to end in a dot sh extension. H. New nano 6.2 make lunch menu dotcha. New. And now it's just a case of writing the command that we've run previously. So let's do that now. Slash U T space. So we're fetching the command via curl, then we're doing the pipe One, character, space. and then we're doing loo translate. Space. Dash R forward space. And then EN dash G dot C T B. And let's just review that line to make sure that's correct. Curl S H T T P S slash slash www.braylists.org slash menu.txt loo translate forward engbg2.ctb. All right, well, uh, it's a pretty long line, but it looks like it's uh, what it should be to me. So once again, we'll use Control-X to quit Nano. Save modified buffer. Why, yes. 
N no C can Y. Yes. File name to write. Make lunch menu dotsha. Ben at desktop. All right, so let's try and run the script then. So I'm going to do dot slash, slash make lunch menu dot sh bash dot slash make lunch menu dot permission denied. Uh oh, well, that's not so good. That's definitely not what we wanted to happen. And the reason why that's happened is because we need to tell Ubuntu that this is a file that we can run. That might seem annoying. Sometimes it is, but we're just going to have to do it. And we do that by using the chmod command. So we're going to do chmod space a plus x space sh press enter. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp slash bbt And we haven't got any output from that command, so that probably means that it's run OK. So let's use command history to run that script again and see what we get now. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp slash bbt dot slash make lunch menu dot That's the one. TDX0012SM5U3. And there we have it. We have our first ever what's called bash script, which creates a Braille menu from the ordinary print menu. So that's all well and good, but at the moment, the changes are only on my machine, um, which is not ideal really because this is, well, A, it's meant to be centralized version control, so it would be silly if it was just on my machine. And secondly, we want other people in the team to be able to use this after all. So what we need to do is commit our changes to the repository. And if you remember uh, earlier when we uh, were on the GitHub website, a commit is just a change or potentially set of changes. Now, there are two steps associated with committing your changes, broadly speaking. The first is to add the files that you've changed. And then the second is to write a commit message, which is basically just a short description of the change that you've made. It's sort of to do with the etiquette of, of doing version control. So let's add our file then. So I'm going to do git add menu.sh. Um, although I could in this instance do git add star dot star, which would add everything, but that's okay because we've only changed one file. Um, I'll be honest, I sometimes do do git add star dot star. Um, although you only do that if you are sure that there aren't any files in there that you don't want to be added. Ben at desktop d6jf0hp. Cool, so that file has now been added. Now let's make a commit for it. And we do that by doing git commit. Space. And now we need to do dash, dash m. Space. And now we write our message, usually in double quotes. Quote. Uh, so when you write a commit message, it's important to, as I say, keep it brief, but also explain what you've done. So let's say I had a script to pull down today's menu and convert it into Braille using libus. And when we press enter, we'll get a little bit of output from Git telling us what's in our commit. Author identity unknown. Star star star, please tell me who you are. Run.
GIT config global user dot email you at example.com GIT config global user dot name your name to set your account's default identity omit global to set the identity only in this repository fatal empty ident name for less ben at desktop d6jf0hp.local domain greater not allowed ben at desktop d6jf0hp slash bbt lebluis dollar now that is an example of where it does pay to listen to the output. So because we've only just installed Git, it doesn't really know who we are, unfortunately. So let's do what it says and set our username. So we're gonna do git config space, dash dash global user dot name. And now I'm just gonna put myself in as B Mustard. Alright, and let's try to commit our changes again. Ben at desktop D6JF0HP slash bbt lebluis.git commit m add a script to download the latest menu and convert it into braille master 2ab5b69c add a script to download the latest menu and convert it into braille committer mustil rose less ben at desktop d6jf0hp.local domain greater one file changed two insertions plus create mode 100755 make lunch menu ben at desktop d6jf0hp Slash BBT dollar. All right, so that's all well and good, but actually it's not as useful as it could be, right? So, so all we're doing at the moment is just printing the output to the screen, when actually what we really want is probably to have the output sent to a file uh, somewhere. So let's open up our script again. O space. L H U dot S H new nano 6.2 make lunch menu dot curl S H T T P. All right, so let's go to the end of this line. Space. And if you recall the way that we send the contents of a command or a series of commands to a file is to use the greater than symbol. Greater space. So let's send this to menu dot and we could just leave it at that, but actually uh, let's add a message in to tell us that the script uh, has been successful. Blank, blank, so blank. Curl SC, blank. Let's go to a new line. And the way that we want to print a message is by using the echo command, which will literally just echo what we write to the screen. So we'll say e echo C quote. Script space is now done. E back quote. And let's uh, let's just look at that. Echo script is now done. That's the second line. Curl shttp. That's the first line. And as I say, the script is really simple. It's going to do the first line. It's going to wait for that to finish. Then it's going to do the second line. So let's control X out of this. Save modified buffer. Why? Yes. File name to write. We'll accept the default. Ben at desktop. And we don't need to run the chmod command again because it's the same file. So let's just do slash menu.sh. Script is now done. Ben at desk. And there we are. So we're not outputting the uh, contents of the menu to the screen anymore. We're just sending them to a file. 
And as you heard, we have the script is now done message as well. And if we use the cat command to open menu.txt. Uh, e, e, space, tdx0012sm5u3. We have the menu. Now we could just commit those changes, uh, but actually we should probably do something else first because if you think about it, there's now a new file, menu.txt, in the repo, but that's going to change every day, potentially. Um, and so we probably don't want that to be in the repo because it's going to become out of date really, really quickly. And ultimately, if it's there, if it is in date, there's kind of no incentive for people to run our new make lunch menu script either. So what we need to do is we need to tell Git to ignore that file. And luckily there's a way that you can do that. You simply add the name of the file to a file called .gitignore. And we can do that with nano. So let's open that up now. New nano 6.2.gishignore. Star blank number four dot docignore. And we can see if we scroll through the file, liblouie have already added a bunch of file names and uh, file patterns in here. They don't want to be slash dot git added to the repo. Um, this is really useful if during development your processes generate files that you don't want to be committed. Um, a good example would be if you're making something that talks to a system that requires a username and password. So you're using your username and password, but you don't want that to be committed because obviously you don't want to share your passwords. So you just add the file that contains the passwords to the git ignore file. So I'm at the end of the file Blank. now, and I'm just going to type in menu.txt. And we'll save, save modified and exit as file per name normal. to Bennett. All right, so let's add the make lunch menu file again. So git uh, add make lunch menu And we'll write a commit message. Space quote further improvements to Quote. Master 9C40 FE0 further improvements to menu script. And uh, what we could do then if we wanted to would be to run a git push command. If you recall earlier, we ran git pull to pull the changes down. If we wanted to push the commits we've made back up to the repo, you do that by doing git push. Um, well, goodness me, an introduction to version control in 40 minutes. Definitely a fairly fast-paced session there. We've got time for a couple of questions, I think. Ed, I'm going to come to you in a moment or two, so uh, fair warning. But um, I'd like to introduce our new uh, moderator, which it feels incredibly strange to say, but I'm incredibly glad to say it. Uh, hello. Hi, my name is, is Chantal, everybody. We don't have any hands raised at this point in time, Ben. All right. So, um, Ed, um, a couple, couple of, where, well, where, where do we start, really? But a couple of questions quickly. Um, firstly, um, what did I miss? And secondly, do you have examples of, of ways that version control has, has helped you? Yeah, so let's 
let's go for the first one because we we were talking about this just before we um before we went on air weren't we which is that there's so much to cover the one of the things which i think isn't so much missed but something that people will come up against next is is where um is where braille really comes into its own is when you've made a variety of changes what git then allows you to do is look inside a file and it'll give you every line that you changed it'll give you the old version and it'll give you the new version and you can compare the file you've currently got with one from two years ago or one from yesterday and you can have those two lines one above the other if you're using a multi-line device like uh, the our prototype the console or just flick between them on a single line braille display um and that's quite that's really useful for working out where you've cocked something up um but that that's the sort of thing that comes to you because git is a a long-term thing and the reason that it's useful even though it's famously named after linus torvalds who described himself as a git therefore he names his projects after himself um even though it can be a pain to learn it's very powerful and the example i've got here is that um very appropriately theo and i are having a conversation in this the zoom chat about a program we're um testing which i talked about last time which is about showing um a football uh in in multi-line braille playing a game out there now theo is trying to download that and he's trying it on his computer and there's an and there's an error showing up which isn't showing up on mine so i'm now going back through the git logs line by line and working out what changed in that line which isn't working for him which is working for me and Unless you've got version control, you can get yourself in a real muddle there as to what you have changed and whether and whether you need to go back a level and then or or whether you go and see what someone else has done that fixes a problem and work out whether you can you can download their fix. So that's where it's been helping me. And I think also we should point out that history of the files, which is uh, sort of colloquially referred to as Git. That was something that we were going to include in the demo, but one of the challenges of of uh, of <laughs> demoing Braille stuff is that it's not noisy, right? In the same way that that um, you know speech uh, is, in in the sense that you, of course, can hear what you're doing with speech, but it's hard to communicate that using Braille over Zoom. Well, and the most important thing is to realise that there is a tool out there which, as soon as you can use that tool, you can work in almost any collaborative team, remotely or in the canteen of BBT. If we had a canteen, we have a kitchen. Um, and it's just such a powerful tool. You don't need to understand it. You just need to be able to do the stuff that you just described. And then you can look up the rest as you're going along. Obviously, we had a bit of an artificial example there, but the steps that you would follow if you wanted to contribute something back to LibLouis, i.e. Uh, fixing a mistake in a Braille table or even adding a new Braille table are going to be very, very similar as well. Uh, so, uh, Chantel, should we, uh, should we go to some hands? Absolutely. So we do have one hand raised, uh, and that is James. I'm just about to unmute you. Thank you, Chantel. Um, I'm I'm just bobbing in to say um, you've mentioned modifying, fixing, adding new Braille tables. This is something I have done quite a bit of, um, and I intend to do more of. If anybody is interested, has any reports of errors, please let me know. Or if you want to work on another Braille table, and you don't know where to get started get in touch and I'll be happy to help. And James, is it fair to say that, uh, I mean, hopefully it goes without saying, but Lib Louie are always very receptive to people who 
know about you know changes that could be made in their tables um errors or additions yes um we haven't covered it today um but there's possibly a masterclass in actually working on lib louis there's probably a masterclass topic on that on its own um because there's quite a lot to say about table files testing it's accurate how to uh, submit changes and all that kind of good stuff and uh, last quick question from me, going to put you on the spot here. Would Clearly, there is some technology required in how to do that. But would you say that uh, someone who is a determined Braillist as opposed to a software engineer could still add value to LibLouis in terms of uh, making corrections and additions? Mm. Some LibLouis rules are really easy, um, like always space ed space one two four six which would mean a rule to do the ed sign always whenever it happens but some of the rules are very 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 much more complicated than that all right well uh definitely if you want to see a libluy masterclass uh best way to let us know about that is to email help at braillist.org Thank you, Chantel. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, our lovely audience. Once again, um, it wouldn't be a masterclass without our audience. I am Ben Mustel-Rose. Thank you, everyone. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Brailcast Extra. You can find more Braille-related content by subscribing to Brailcast, all one word, in your podcast client of choice or listening to Brailcast, connecting the dots for Braillists everywhere on your smart speaker. For the latest information about future Braillist events and how to join live, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter at braillists.org slash newsletter slash sign up. You can also visit our events page at braillists.org slash events. If you have comments on this recording or suggestions of topics or guests for future events, we'd love to hear from you. Please email help at braylists.org. You can also find the Braylists on Twitter at Braylists or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Foundation. Finally, if you like what you've heard, spread the word. We welcome new listeners and live participants alike, so if you know other people who are interested in Braille, please tell them where to find us. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at the Braillists, thanks for listening and bye for now.